hey there, folks. This is part two of two with actor and my former boss, Curtis Nelson. We get more into the specifics on this week, but if you haven't listened to last week, what are you doing? How have you not already? I know that all of you all are waiting by your phones and or whatever other device you use to just get a new episode of Service from Hell. So you probably have already listened to part one, but if you haven't, go back because this episode won't make a ton of sense. And we get into some more of the specifics of working at the comedy club where I he was my boss. So let's get on with the show. So many times when I was security, would it would turn out at the beginning of the night, I made eye contact with people. I didn't treat them like trash when they came in. I looked at their ID. I didn't make smart ass comments about their weight or their hair or their photo being ugly. Hey, how you doing today? Welcome to so-and-so, da-da-da-da, and then let them go in. And so many times that helped me later whenever I had to remove those people. I just went up and I literally had this one guy yelling at the security, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You were nice to me, so <laughs> I'm going to leave. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I'm the fourth guy and they're like, hey, you know, so, but it's just, you know, I mean, you know, a little bit of kindness and attention usually goes a long way. Sure. Uh, okay. So, well, the next question is how many customer service jobs have you had? And we listed 14. So you just listed all mm-hmm. of them. So I counted 14. So of those customer service jobs, because obviously being an actor would be your favorite is your favorite, but what what's your favorite of the jobs we've listed? Well, the comedy store security was the greatest security job I ever had and the managing job I ever had. Those jobs are the best. I mean, um, it was also the most miserable sometimes, but working at the comedy store was incredible. I mean, you got to watch as an artist. It was all, it always blew my mind that I was sitting in a place that really, really coveted artistry and, and wanted people to be able to succeed in, in their art. And they gave them the opportunity to, and that's something as an actor, you really never had, you know, the biggest thing as an actor is, is you just, you kind of have never listen, being in an acting class is not practicing. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you sitting at home and playing your guitar and then expecting that you're going to be able to go on stage one day and be like, Bow! and you just be natural Led Zeppelin, you know, and you're like, you're not, you're, you're not. not, you have to, and, and, and actors in film, you don't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. You, you either succeed or fail, or you just don't know anything about the job. Well, that's what they you say, know, that phrase, uh, get it on its feet. If you don't ever get it on its feet, then you actually don't know how well you would do. And I never right. thought about that. You're right, that performing live comedy is on its feet. You're getting immediate direct feedback. And that right. is and yeah. so it was fantastic. I mean, I just I I would literally I I'll admit this now. I would sometimes be in tears in the back of the room watching sometimes. I'm like, and not of laughter, in tears of like, man, this is so fucking cool. I mean, well, watching people's dreams come true never gets old. Like oh, it just never oh, gets old. Oh, when they when they succeed, it's oh, just unbelievable. Like you I know, when Jesus Trails special came out, you're just like, oh, I'm just Bless like, him. I can't believe it. You know, and you go watch him live, and you're just like, this is so cool. But you get to see these people grow right in front of you, and it mm-hmm. was it was the most rewarding job for that one reason alone. I mean, I would, you know, do it again in a heartbeat. 
Now, you said that that was the most rewarding or the best security job was at the co- comedy store. Why was that no, no, different? No, I mean, it was the best managing job I ever had or a best job I ever had. Forget about security. It was just the best job. Well, why was though, but why was security at the comedy store different than security at the Warner Brothers lot or Saddle Saddle Ranch? Or- well, the Saddle Ranch, I mean, there were there were fights that were on the Sunset Strip. And I don't mean on the sidewalk of the Sunset Strip. They're in the middle, right across from oh, yeah. uh, the, what's the famous hotel? Right uh, across not the, the Onda. Uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the name it, of it. It's, it's right now a Best Rosa. Western, but it's, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, the standard. But, the I mean, standard is what The standard, thinking. thank yeah. you. So right out in front of the, I mean, literally in the yep. on the yellow. In the street. Two yellow strips down yep. the middle of the street, there's people, brawls, and and I'm like, I'm not going on the strip. Hell <laughs> like, no, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was crazy. I saw, I mean, we saw th- crazy things there. And, and, and House of Blues, same thing. You know, I mean, at the House of Blues, I was, we're pulling four or five people out a night at a concert. And, it, you know. <laughs> it's 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 nuts and and they're 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 throwing at you whereas at the comedy store you know because of its environment you're allowed and crazy shit happened at the comedy store mm. but you're allowed to kind of have a voice and talk to those people whereas the other ones there was just almost no talking and you know it's, it's just crazy you, you had a lot of meatheads that worked with you at those places too and they would put you in positions i didn't want to be in and i'm like you know that i wouldn't put myself in you know what does that mean? They would put you because they would run their mouths as security. Oh, there was this one guy. I won't. I won't out him. There was this one guy at the Saddle Ranch that we were kicking this, and he was huge. This guy was enormous. There, the, and when you're that large, there's no reason to intimidate anybody. They're already intimidated. And I've seen this man lift guys out like a baby by their <laughs> arms, Jesus Christ, and carry them out with their feet dangling oh because God. he's that strong. And I'm not joking. I believe you. And that same person one day was, we were asking this guy to leave and he couldn't leave and he was drunk and, but he was young and cocky. The guy probably weighed about 175 pounds, very fit young guy. And he, he's like, let me see your ID. Cause he was, for whatever reason, this guy had asked for his ID. Oh, he was getting his ID back from the, the bar and his credit card back from the bar. And so he dropped him and, and I said, hold on, I'll get him. And as I'm going down to go get the IDs off the ground and pick them up, I hear this giant man telling this other man, do something, you motherfucker. I will fucking ruin you. And just and the guy wasn't being combative. He wasn't being combative at all. He wasn't talking back. He wasn't being a dick. But he was drunk off his ass. And he had said drunk things. But I just remember bringing the IDs back up. And I handed them to the guy. And I said, I'll be outside when you need me. And I just walk back outside because he's just egging this guy on. And I'm like, Ugh, I don't need to be in this situation. You know, I mean, it's just this is ridiculous. So, you know, and I, I felt it was very unfair, too, because I don't like intimidation at all. And yeah. it just bu- rubbed me the wrong way. So that's what I'm talking about with situations I would have never put myself in. Whereas I would spend time with people and be like, hold on. OK, all right, we'll, we'll be out. And oftentimes my manager would come over and look at me and be like, hold on, give me a second, you know, and I'd give him a hand and put it up, you know, and, and then eventually walk him out. That's and, what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, with enough of those situations, it's not, you don't get the high that I think a lot of people do out of, you know, fighting or talking shit or working out their miserable lives on other humans. I think there mm-hmm. is that style of personality. And I think that that high I don't understand when that's like for some people, it never stops being amazing for them. Like they love the fight. They love the push. They love the whatever. I don't 
I don't I don't get my jollies that way. So it doesn't make sense to me when people do. And the best security guards are the ones who also don't get their jollies that way. They're the ones who are just like, no, no, I don't need this. I don't need to make a scene here because you're acting right. an ass like I just need you to leave. That's it. Because the person that's being combative wants the fight. They're com- they're being mm-hmm. combative like they're asking mm-hmm. for it. And if you're like, no, no, I know you wish I would, but I won't. So just there's the exit. It sort of de-escalates everything. Whereas if everybody's hot, you know, it anyway, um, yep. did, did you ever lose your cool as security? Oh, absolutely. You know, there was definitely times where, you know, it just goes past the point of reason, you know, and then you're like, and, and that was probably my, my, the, the worst trait I have as a human being really in, in all facets of my life is that if I give you a lot of room to be able to correct and then you don't, well then oh, you want me to act this way and then I'll act that way. But I go 100% full force all the way and embarrass myself sometimes because it's like, you know, you want to be unreasonable? Well, I'll show you unreasonable. (laughs) And, you know, that's unreasonable. As they they say in the South, I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, that's that's probably the one thing. So I've, I've certainly lost my fucking temper for sure. And then sure. how does, do you like excuse yourself from the situation or do you just throw the person out and then like, the, that's the great thing about having multiple security at yeah. one job. Sometimes you can do that. You're like, you know what, you take this one and you know, let this guy do this. And then, um, but then, you know, other times you can't. So, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I've had women windmill punch me <sighs> right in the face, Ooh. just like, you know, you'd see a little kid like uh, Ralphie in Christmas story and you can't do anything. That's you assault. You just got to take it Ugh. on the chin and the nose and the chest and the face and everything Jeez. else and just leave. And you're like, okay, you take this one <laughs> or you just got to find a way to get them out. Yeah, so. it's such a oh, – and and boy, everybody's got that that right to that edge. Like they, they really know how to push you at the comedy store and elsewhere, just right to your limit. Um, so why – because I would imagine managing the comedy store with the amount of personalities and all the servers and the, like, I can imagine that you're saying that was your favorite, uh, who, when people were coming at you and like bitching all the time, I mean, how do you, how did you take that in stride? Cause I just couldn't have done it. You just, I mean, listen, I failed at that sometimes too. Um, but there's one time in particular, we're in the main lobby. They're like, you got to come talk to this girl that she's so mad. And she was angry at the show. She wasn't angry at her service or anything like that. She was just mad. They said this and they said this, and you should refund all my money and you should do that. And her bill was like 240 bucks. And it's like, you know, so I'm like, I'm not refunding your money. This is ridiculous. I'm a liberal, I'm a liberal. And I had to listen to this guy talk about this and this, and he explaining all the shit that she had to endure in her ears. And I'm like, man, this is a comedy club um free speech i'm a liberal and she would just say live i ended up talking to this woman for like 45 minutes but she paid her fucking bill i'll bet so curtis <laughs> okay <laughs> who won that round lady <laughs> uh, i mean it nobody did but i mean literally it was one of those things where her boyfriend was like she was like just eat demat Emas- is emasculating the emasculating. Right word? emasculating emasculating her boyfriend right in front of me he's like don't you talk to you you do this you're not gonna stand up for me blah 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 <laughs> she yelled at this poor guy and she's uh, he looked exactly like I guess if you wanted to be uh, crass and say what a righteous liberal girl would date <laughs> sure uh-huh she's a hero That's... and he took it all in bless his heart <laughs> she berated him oh. up and down 
And then when the servers would come at you too and have a million things like they knew best and like, you know, that that can be a difficult environment because I think it made, because it was so fast and so high volume and there was alcohol and personalities and like the, a lot of the customers would be problematic and it's just a lot of, there's just so much personality in that building. How would you right size things when people would want to come at you? I have failed at that sometimes, a lot of times too. Um, but what, what I would try to do is like, I, I like personal experiences more than I do public experiences when it comes to managing people. And, you know, the hardest part is trying to turn off something that's going on while everybody's around and it doesn't need to be dealt with at that point. So you would have somebody upset at you or saying this bitch did this or this fucking guy did this or whatever. And you should, we should be dealing with this. You just try to catch him later and and be like, listen, we're going to talk about this, but we're going to talk about this later. And I like to be personable and sometimes shut the door and listen to people and, you know, you just have to listen and, and you have to remember that it is chaotic and they are mad and they are behind the eight ball and that other person did fuck them over and that other person, you know, isn't doing the right thing. And then you have to try to open your mind and not be biased to who that person might be in front of you that you might not like yourself and go, all right, well, let's, let's wait. And then also yeah, like I said, just listen and pay attention. And you'd see that most of the time when you gave people time to breathe, they would come back with a better sense of, sense of themselves and let the, everything pass, you know. But like I said, I failed there sometimes too, because sometimes you just have, you just, you're in a bad mood, you sure. know, you, and you'd have to remember that, you know, it's like people all the time, you know, you know, talk about anger and frustration in the normal world or driving around and in their car and they're yelling and screaming, but that's because they have the solitude of their car to be able to throw and blow up. In. And you just, you want to be able to give people the opportunity to, to look themselves, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And usually they would self-correct before you ha- ended up having to have that final conversation later where you're like, okay, now let's talk, Kate, what's the deal? How can I help you? What can we do? Well, you do a really good job of like holding space for, you know, when, you know, I've been at the end of my rope more than once at that job and have tried to quit and have, you know, told you so, Curtis, like, I am done. There's no talking me out of it. You'd be like, okay, okay, well, just finish this shift. We'll talk about it. And then at the end of the shift, I'm like dripping in shame. Like, I cried in front of my boss. This is so frustrating. Then I'm like, no, I don't quit. Please don't fire me. You're like, I know. I know you weren't quitting. You were just upset. And I'm like, you had the best work face. I think you and I have the same work face, Kate. <laughs> you, you, you just know it's like, I would, you wouldn't have to say a word. Yep. You wouldn't have to say anything. I'm like, yeah, Kate's in a, Kate's in the deep waters, I think, right now. And you'd just be like you're running around, your little hand gestures. You'd always adjust your glasses as you're, as you're going through things. You're, you're, you're like looking for your next drink or putting straws in it. Hey, Kate, can I help you? I, and you just look at me. Nope. Up. And you just go up. And I'm like, all right. She's in the weeds, but she's going to take care of it. Literally drowning. Don't even know how to ask for help. Should have. Definitely should have. And did not. But yeah, you did. Or sometimes, well, I'd ask for help, but nobody fucking helped me. So, <laughs> oh, I'm such a brat. Oh, you should have fired me so many times. Okay. So what was your least favorite of all of those jobs? Probably. I mean, the least favorite was when I worked at Chili's for two weeks. Okay. Tell I me was, about that. I mean, for some reason, whenever I was there, I mean, I, I was actually, I was actually a server there. I was, you know, taking orders and everything else. I didn't like the structure of it. I didn't like having to upsell they were real big upsellers. And if I'm going to be a hundred percent non-biased and uh, excuse me, excuse me, honest with you, not biased. If I'm going to be honest with you, I would say I would see 
at Chili's, the same type of people come in over and over in those two weeks. And literally after like the first week, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make this. There were some people that came in there with their families that would just eat like every day. Every day for dinner, they would come in with their family and eat the most horrid, worst food and a bazillion pounds of it. And I'm not trying to be judgmental here. You're just like, how... Number one, how do you afford this? Yeah. This is like, their bill was like 200 every time, Ooh. 300 every time. I'm like, number one, what does this guy do? And does he not care about the health and well-being of his family? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they would just devour this food like, yeah, you know, jackals. And I'm just like, oh. But this, it was just, and people were just so rude there and they tipped terribly. Yep. yep. Terribly. Yep. And I'm like, and, 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 and this restaurant specifically was very... The only reason I got the job as a server is because I wanted to work into the bar. Ah, uh, I felt like if I was could get into this because they had a really good bar, and I would be able to to work my way up there. But I couldn't make it. I was just like I just can't do this because you had to upsell and stuff like that. And then the things that people would say to you as a server just drove me up the fucking wall. Like and what's an they, example? And, and the entitlement of people just <laughs> expecting you to wipe their goddamn ass for them. Yeah, just me want to kick their teeth in. I was just. <laughs> Are horrible. Like, I, I didn't need to help them, and I certainly never want to be the guy that you know think I need to take it out some you know frontier justice by spitting in their tea or something. Like that. I mean, like, Jesus, it's like, I don't even want to think about that. I'm going to use that phrase on everything. A little t- time for a little frontier justice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so two weeks, and then you were just like, "I'm out. I'm like, Here's my apron." Okay, so that was your least favorite. Yeah. Okay, what's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? weirdest thing um i don't know i think maybe one of the weirdest things that ever happened to me was like it's not i don't know if it was weird to constitute the weirdness the same way you're you're saying it but when i was working at a a bar one time on the sunset strip i won't say which one (laughs) it wasn't the comedy store (laughs) we could do the math (laughs) this guy from iraq could barely speak any english and he had he was in the parking lot and he was drunk and i was helping him and I was like, sir, you okay? And whatever. And he would look like he was lost. And he's like, here, come here, come here, help me. Come here, follow me to sun, follow me. And I followed him to the sunset strip uh, right on the um, edge and, and on the sidewalk. And he just, he just wanted to talk. That's all he wanted to do was talk, Bless but he it. couldn't speak any English, but he was in the drunk place of openness of oh. where he wanted to share I think his own anxieties and his own beliefs and his own consciousness with me because he was, he worked for the, the best I could get out of his broken English was that he worked for the oil industry and he was over here talking with oil companies here that are doing business with them there and that he was disgusted with himself Uh and that he, uh, that life was a sellout that he had was in a bad place, but he had to do what he had to do. And he was obviously very wealthy. He had like, he had like a black card and all this other shit and stuff that, that he had dropped in the parking lot that I had picked up. And you could just see the struggling with his own dealings of the oil business. Wow. And he just wanted to talk about it, but he couldn't express himself. So I sat there for like 30 minutes talking to this guy and he's like, and eventually he, all I could get out of him is he was like, oil, it controls everything. We're fucked. We can't get out of it. And I'm like, so are you saying like people are killing people and stuff? And he'd look at me, smile, and he'd go, I can't talk. 
these things, but we're fucked. And wow. he just would go on. And I'm like, this is strange. But he was struggling with his own inner demons. Wow. And he just wanted to open up about it. And why he decided to open up with me is just crazy. But he was that's the best I could explain it because I could barely understand what he was saying. Yeah, you hold space for that, though. And I think that people know, I mean, I bet you've gotten into quite a few weird conversations with people just because you have like a calming sort of presence when you're in the zone. So I imagine he was like, oh, you know, I'm gonna this energy (laughs) registers with something I can connect to. That's pretty intense. What's an incident that ever made someone ask to speak to your manager? Not so whether it was related to something you directly did or didn't do, but was there something when someone was above you where the customer asked to talk to your higher ups? Um, Insecurity all the time, because you know, they didn't want to leave or whatever. I'm not leaving until, you know, I get to talk to somebody who's in charge. You're not in charge. You're security and whatever and screaming at you and so yeah i mean uh incidents i mean there's not one with security it happened all the time i mean it's it's just um well that liberal girl for instance was one of them sure but i but i was the manager you know, <laughs> you're like you're talking and to she him. didn't want to but she had talked to everybody else i mean you know i mean so karen will not be I mean, satisfied <laughs> yeah i mean i can't think of any one incident where you know i mean i just remember the look on my manager's faces as they would walk up you know, it's usually like they, they would tell you everything that that person had said to them after they turned around and came to you and was like, they're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I think as employees, we forget that, you know, managers can also read the situation. So even if it seems as if they're siding with the customer just to deescalate the right. situation that the managers like that you guys are paying attention and that you're like, no, no, I know that person's bonkers, but we just needed them to leave. So sorry, it looked like we were siding against you, but you know, and yeah, I've seen that. I ha- it, it took the comedy store job to make me realize that where I was like, oh, right. You know, this isn't some personal, you're a bad employee. It's like, what's the safest for everyone who's insane right now? Okay, she's being insane as the customer. What do we have to do to just get her to be less insane or him or right. whomever? Uh, what was the last straw that got you out of? And we know the Chili's job was just watching people slowly die because of their diets. But what was like, <laughs> what got you? Was there like an incident that got you out of one of your jobs that you were like, because you mentioned you were fired from in cahoots. So what? Well, actually, there's well, a fired what, question. We'll get there. But what was yeah. there something else uh, that was like a last straw where you quit? No, I never. I always, I always. I mean, the Chili's was the only one that where I quit where I'm just like, like, dude, I, I went to the manager. I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> it's like, this is not for me. It's not my gig. And that was the only one really that I just had a last straw. Because if you notice through the, the past retellings of my jobs, I kind of always either had other jobs. And I didn't even mention that uh, I used to, you know, drive around LA and, and do um, drive-bys from a buddy that would do how, um, what is it called? Um, damn it. I don't know, but we need to get real specific was, on would, what drive-by excuse means. Me. Uh, I, would, I, would, I, had, I had a job for cash under the table with a buddy of mine who was an appraiser. Oh, Back shit. when the housing boom was just going crazy. And he had, he had so many appraisal jobs that he would have me go by and do all the drive-bys where you have to take comparison photos of the houses that are in the same price range as that one you, he was appraising. And so I would spend three or four hours a day just driving – hundreds of miles a day all through LA at Orange County, San Bernardino County and everything while I was doing all these other nighttime jobs, sometimes even with my kids in the car. The <laughs> hustle is real. The hustle is real. So I never really had to quit a job where I was like, fuck it. I'm yeah. done with this. But it was like uh with with that one, um I mean with 
probably my my where I said I was done was uh, doing a fitness instructor. I, at the point at the time, I had my own personal training business where I was doing like boot camps and things like that. And I said I'm done because it's just I just didn't like being an instructor anymore. Yeah. I and think there's I a shelf life for that. Because when you're in an, when you're a personal trainer, which is I think the number one personal business in LA, I think. Probably. Is um when you're a personal trainer, you always have to be fighting for your next job. You're always you you're trying to fight for clients and I never was that kind of guy. I only wanted to help people out. Sure. I didn't want to take their money. I wanted their money. Sure. I wanted sure. to make money. But it's my job if you hired me to give you all the information I could to make you successful. Sure. So I was I wouldn't hold anything back. I'd tell you everything. And at, at the end, I felt like I didn't want to be a salesperson all the time. That gets that gets tiring. That part of acting is hard. The constant yeah. push of selling your brand. Uh, okay. Have you ever told a customer to fuck off? No, I never really have told them to fuck off. I mean, I didn't. I, when you were in security, you didn't have to. And as a manager, I never thought that I, I ever would constitute a reason to do that that's impressive so no i actually never have wow okay how many bodily fluids have been on you whilst you were on the clock <laughs> uh blood and puke for sure thank you you got <laughs> did you get puked on uh i got i got a uh, residual puked on yes when somebody puked on a bar when i was a bar back and i'm sitting there washing dishes you know <laughs> and, yep. and I, was, I had my heads down i'm going a thousand miles an hour and all of a sudden just like spray comes on me i'm like what? And I look up and this guy just, just barfed off the bar. Okay. To our loyal listeners who know that I bring this up a lot, Curtis Marks, the second guest. Carl Tart was the first. Curtis is now the second that has been through the hell that I have also been through. So Mazel tov, <laughs> Curtis, that's awesome. You got puked on. Um, does that smell? Because I'm sure you had to get a lot of that powder. I saw you actually have to powder some puke before. Did you? Yeah. Does that smell get to you? It's the puke smells never bothered me. People puking's never bothered me. I mean, for I don't know why I'm I'm lucky. I guess, yeah, but it never are. bothered me. I mean, it's not like I enjoy it, but I'm like, <laughs> you know what? It's God bless your I make dad. The same it's, face as you. <laughs> yeah, but it's because you grew up, you know, in in a butcher situation. You're like the nasty smells are part of my deal. Okay, good. Uh, so just bl- now, when was the blood? Was it your blood or someone else's blood? Oh, it's security. I've had blood on me several times. Why? You know, um, well, I mean. At the Inca Hoots bar, I've, I was there was a fights all the time. That that bar, there was fights all the time. One of the best fight stories I have, I wasn't in, was at that Inca Hoots. It used to be at this. It was a mall. It was like a shopping center, a single story shopping center, like in the old days. It's right off of Glendale Boulevard in California, if you know Glendale. I do. And um, <laughs> it's no longer there. It's like a Michael Shopping Center and stuff. Oh now. sure, okay. Um, but that used to have this the old shopping centers where you they would kind of intertwine with each other and so like all the the only thing that was still open in that whole shopping center was the in cahoots so behind in the exit doors in the back one night the the sheriffs the chp lapd they all hate each other and then one night they were so mad as a group there was like five or six chp officers five or six sheriffs and like five or six LAPD guys. And this is 94, 95 maybe. And they were so angry that they that we stopped them from fighting inside the club. And by the way, that's three different groups. So they were all inter- somehow triangulated their anger toward each other, but all wanted to kill each other, but all as a group. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So we ushered them outside into the back where there was no, where the, all the old vacant shops were. And we started taking bets as the three of the, these guys, the, like 15 guys just went fucking at it and just like 
balls of the wall throwing these guys are balls of the wall throwing punches at each other i mean just just beating the ever living hell out of each other while we watched and took bets on the whole thing and oh just God. laughed and just kept them from going back in the club and eventually it got broke up by the sheriffs and the LAPD showing up and they all got their friends out of there and oh stuff my God. like that it was just it was funny i mean I, I just couldn't believe it but you got blood on you during that experience Oh yeah, we used to have. Well, at that, uh, I'm talking about ink coots in general. We used to wear like white shirts, so I was always having to buy new white shirts from guys. Just you know, getting in fights, and when you're a security guy, they're all they're already fighting, and you have to pick guys up and you know, walk Ooh. them out and stuff. And so yeah, I get blood on me all the time. Okay, uh, do you tip House of Blues oh, too? House of Blues, really? Yeah. Yeah, there were some big fights at House of Blues. Well, it's like you can only serve people fishbowl margaritas for so long and act surprised that people are killing each other before you're like, we might have a a part of this. Like, this might be our fault that people are murdering one another, for fuck's sake. Um, Okay, do you tip? Um, Absolutely. I always try to do at least 20%. Okay. And it's the easiest math to do. That's right. And, And, you know, and then, you know. I try to do more. Some, you know, it's actually, you know, with the new POS systems, I like them because, you know, they put a lot of those over tipping bars on there already. Whenever you can, you know, you know, use the digital um, POS systems now. Yeah. So, I mean, I like that because I, it makes it easier for you to tip. When oh, you do so that, you like the handheld kind of like at the table thing? I do. Oh, I, I do. Whenever that. they when when they come by, because then I don't have to do the math and it's right there. But but I don't always tip for like coffee and stuff. You don't. Okay. Not always. So I'm not a hundred percenter. Do you ever, is there, besides coffee, is there like, if you got really bad service, would you not tip? It had to be really terrible, but when I was younger, I wouldn't. As I got older, I just tip. What's a, what's a bad service that would make you not tip now as an adult? They would just have to be just where they just didn't show up enough. And, and, you know, you had to ask more than once, you know, there's times where you like, literally you're like, I have no silverware. Now, if you were at a place like the comedy club that we both worked at and you looked around and you saw like the volume or you were paying attention, like, would you pay attention? Like, Oh shit, this server has a hundred people to herself or himself. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Even whenever I was doing, like if, if I were at the comedy store on my own, I would see that stuff. You had said people's like biggest complaint there was what? Well, sometimes their complaint would be that, you know, that the service, it's almost like they expected it to be like a restaurant where the person's only got five tables and that, that they should be making their rounds, you know, every five minutes as to what, you know, there'd be some people that would sit down and drink their drink immediately and be like one another one and you're like we're still seating people and this this server is still in the back and they've got 80 drinks to bring out to the rest of these 80 people so you know it's kind of interesting that they weren't aware enough to be able to look around and kind of see how everything's being done would people be reasonable like would you ever explain that to people that were complaining mm-hmm. and then would they yeah. would their responses be reasonable of like oh yeah i just didn't notice or would they say i don't care i paid this amount of money you know i want this experience both both sometimes, you know, they okay. would do both, you know, sometimes I would go in and, and grab a beer for them. I'd be like, listen, I'll just grab you a beer and I'll, I'll take care of it for now. But this person is way too busy and you drank that one really quickly or something like that. But there'd be other times where they didn't want to get two drinks up front and they were mad that they didn't get another drink. You're like, yet, but why hasn't she been around or why hasn't the server been back around? And you're like, that's why she asked you to get two drinks up front because mm-hmm. she might not be back for just one drink. 
you know, for a few. Well, and a lot of us came up with sort of a speech, especially when I'd be like by myself in the belly room. And I would be like, look, I just want to make you aware. Look all around. See all of these seats. I'm literally the only one up here. If you're a fast drinker, I'd get two drinks right now. And then uh, sometimes people would be like, all right, cool. But other times people would think you were doing it to like upsell. So they'd like look at you side eyed and they'd be like, no, I'll just wait. And then those would be the exact same people who would be so pissed when you were then in the balcony getting all those people their first round and they're like looking they're doing the like hand up like what the hell in the middle of the show and it's like yeah. bro you knew the rules though i ex- i explicitly explained them to you. i took i took time out of my night <laughs> to make sure you right. understood especially when they were in the front row because it was like right you're gonna have i mean well, they, they also don't realize the situation they're in they're yeah. at live show Hello. And you don't want servers walking around like, you know, just boom, 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 boom. Like we could have put 15 servers on and had only 10 people. But now the audience would look like a, a, a bunch of ants moving around. Yeah. <laughs> because you would just have them intertwined all the time. So, you know, you were watching a live comedy show where, you know, it was expected that everybody be paying attention to the show. Yeah. So. Okay. So were you, we already know the answer to this, but you can tell the story. Were you ever fired from a customer service job? Uh, yeah, I was fired from Incahoots. What happened um, there? It was a, uh, the manager's manager was friends with another DJ that had moved to another club, which is the reason I got the job. I got the job as the DJ full time because he decided that he didn't want to work at that club. He wanted to work at another club. So when he came, when he lost his job at the other club, he had been stayed good friends with the, our manager and they made up some excuse or something like that, that Haley was in the booth with me and stuff. And which is so funny later, like about two months later, I would go into the club every once in a while and he would have like five people in the DJ booth with him and sure. he'd be doing shots and everything else. I'm like, wait a minute. So my girlfriend that was in this giant booth with me sitting over there, not drinking, just kind of hanging out, wasn't distracting me at all was somehow distracting. I don't understand. Okay. That. So, yeah. and then they also blamed it on like the, well, you know, Cause I was ahead of sound and lighting for them too. Oh wow. So I was ahead of all the lighting that went on the stage and, 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 and whenever bands would come into town, I'd have to meet them there. You know, uh, Tim McGraw played there, by the way, I met him and talked to him and had whiskey with Tim McGraw before he was Tim McGraw. I remember and, you telling that story and I actually really like that story. Can you jump in and tell it, or can you tell it when you're done with the firing story? Yes. Okay. Thank you. But, um, so I had to do all these things and they had hired a new manager that wasn't very good and didn't know how to talk to people. And she was afraid to come and approach me about anything. And I go, can you name an example of something I did to you to make you scared of me? And she was like, no, I just can't approach you. And I'm like, sounds so like a personal problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's on, that's on her. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, so anyway, so it was, a, it was a, that was a tough one, but because of that, I had my DJ business for a while. So I look at it as a positive. Yeah. Overall, who's the worst customer or like, if you can't think of one of the worst customers, give me an archetype example of like, what would be the worst customer to interact with? The worst customers to interact with in a bar setting is just people that just don't know how to control themselves. Mm. And they expect that everybody's, it's just entitlement issues, really. I agree. Most of the time. I mean, you know, I mean, we all get entitled about different things. So you just, tr- you try to have an open mind and listen to them. But I mean, entitlement is probably the start of everything, whether it's you're at a restaurant or a bar or anything like, you know, I'm entitled to stand right here. I'm entitled to not buy two drinks. I'm entitled to not sit down and shut up. You know, I mean, oh, I'm entitled to you serve me when I want to be served and that's it. You're like, eh. 
Is so, that how it works? <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's the big one. But I mean, yeah. there's too many to mention in that. You sure. Know? I mean. And have you have ever had anyone like scream in your face? Oh, oh, fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I wanted to ask this because I think people think it doesn't happen and that we are dramatic and making it up. And I've I've seen you be screamed at. So what's an example of someone like, why would someone scream in your face? And by well, the way, I mean, screaming is not hyperbole. Actual screaming. Yeah, actual screaming. Well, I mean, like that girl that I told earlier, the story about the, the girl that kept saying she was a liberal. Yeah. I'm a liberal. She was at two or three different points screaming to where I'd be. I'd be like, you have to please keep calm. Because everybody in the showroom now can hear you, which the showroom was through a door and around a wall. (laughs) 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 And you're like, I mean, literally like door guys would come out and be like, God, can we keep it down and and stuff? And I'm like, I know I'm trying to talk to her, but it was just like, you know, that's one incident. I mean, for sure. And there's so many screaming at you. And then of course, as a security guard, you know, you get people screaming at you because they're trying to instigate you. Yep. You know, so, you know, just scream in your face and, and you're right. They scream. Yeah. Yeah. And as a server, I've experienced that more than once because it's almost like they they're trying to push it so that if you respond, they get the bill comped or, you know, they get to create some scene or have some modicum of power. And it's usually I mean, usually it's a financial issue that escalates Mm -hmm. like those girls. Oh, those are the best when you know people just don't want to pay for their checks. So they're being obviously indignant just because like i never i mean this is just incredible Uh you're treating me this way and you're like oh you don't want to pay for your bill yeah like oh i see you i see you boo i see what this is see i'm stubborn though this is why i'd be a bad manager because i'd be like okay boo boo here's your bill like i would just (laughs) be like there's no we're not comping this this isn't if it's a battle of wills i'm here all night on the clock so like i I don't lose time time. (laughs) okay there's Um, only a couple of times i ever took anybody's bill off there was only a couple of times I ever did that. What's what's an example tried, of why you would? Well, I mean, you, you truly did have a server that was doing bad things, you know, or was being very indignant themselves or actually told them to fuck off or something <laughs> like that. Because Ooh. it's like, you know, you're like, all right, did I, you, I see what you're doing. Did yeah, you I see that? But here, here's here's what I did on both occasions that I could, that I could think of. I just, I told them, I'm like, listen, I'll comp your bill, but you have to tip the server. That's interesting. Okay. And so, so what? I don't want to tip. I don't care. You don't want to pay for your bill, but I'll, your bill's 200 bucks. Your bill's 150 bucks. If you tip at least 20 bucks, I'll take the bill off. That's yeah. impressive because that maintains a good relationship for you with your staff. And also you made the customer somewhat happy by getting rid of a $200 bill. I mean, they can't really, mm. yeah. Would you ever, have you ever fired anyone on the spot? No. Would you ever? No. Why? Not today. Not these days. Well, oh. you got too liability, I think. Okay. I mean, if I just said, you know what, Kate, you're done. You just, <laughs> just get out of here. And, you know, it's easiest to fire somebody, you know, like on, you know, what you also nowadays have to usually have your, you know, legal team draw up all the final exit papers and that kind of stuff. So you just, you know, just, all right, cool. And then talk with your team and now, this person. would you be covered? Because I don't really know the intricacies of this because I've not managed. Would you be covered if, say, say I was like putting my hands on a customer at a table? I mean, it was so apparent that you I was if wrong. I fired you? Yeah, yeah like couldn't. Okay, because I was going to say sure. there has to be. Okay, all right, cool. All right, well, do you want to talk any more about firing or anything, or, we, or should we move on to dessert? It's up to you. No, we're good. Just okay. Dessert. Okay. Now on to the good stuff, folks. We hope you save room for dessert.
Well, in this section, we're going to have you tell the Tim McGraw story, but I'm going to ask my questions, the standard questions first. So what is the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? Notice me. Oh, that is such an honest answer. So you know, honest. I mean, yes. you know, when you get people notice you, I mean, it, this sounds like a brag, but it, but it's not, but I mean, whenever I was security at different places, a couple of different places, but specifically at the comedy store, I had a, like a ex CIA agent had been drinking on the patio all night long, but not gone into the shows. So he saw me having to pull two or three different people out in this one particular night and listen to them, talk to them, have a conversation with them. In one instance on this particular night, this guy, I literally stopped him from getting into a fist fight in the main room Ooh. on the second row while we pulled his girlfriend out who was totally drunk. And this guy pulled me aside and he goes, Hey, he goes, can I say something to you? And I said, sure. And he goes, I've been watching you all night long and you are just unbelievable at talking to people. You are so good at that. And I can't believe that you talked that guy down and you, you got him to, the guy came back and apologized to me and he shook my hand where literally we were squared up fist, you know, his fists were up and he wanted to fight me. And he's like, that you're really good at your job. And so that's what I mean by noticing you. And, you know, I don't think about those things because to me, it was just another night, you know, and you just try to move on through and, you know, try to let things go behind you. So, yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing as whenever I'd see people notice the servers or anything in any of my jobs. And I'm a wallflower by nature. I mean, I've, and that's probably why I feel like I'm good at security is because I just like watching people and, and, guiltily sometimes i just like look at this crazy son of a bitch <laughs> i mean but that's just the way i am and at the comedy store i loved that i was able to lean against the wall and watch people probably one of my favorite places to sit in the main room at the comedy store was by the speakers by the stage really so look out at the audience yeah i'd look out at the audience and if wow. rick ingram's on stage or somebody Aww. that's crazy that gets obvious reactions like anthony jeselnik or somebody like that from the audience the best view is the audience so yeah. you get to see them. And uh, when I worked at the House of Blues, you work in the pits. And you would see people watching their favorite band. And that band you might not know or anything. And you'd watch them. And the way they would just look mm. was not creepy. You could just see how much this meant to them. And they're, and, I mean, when I say I'm at the House of Blues, too, I'm six inches away from their face sometimes but they're looking over my head to be able to see this concert and you're just like look at this chick is just enthralled or this guy is just blown away by what he's witnessing right now and he's so in the moment that was awesome yeah and it's it goes sort of in line with seeing people's dreams come true just unadulterated joy that you're like oh the little the little kid inside of that person is literally living their best life right now and it's such right. that never gets old i would totally right. agree with that Okay. Or, you know, even watching the customers who are getting roasted by someone like an Ingram who who are going in and having a really good time mm -hmm. and living mm -hmm. for the fact that the comic paid attention to them and just like right. cry laughing. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh, you're like, this is this is it. This right here. This is mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and that's the great thing about being at, a, at the comedy store. It was just, a, yeah. just you never knew what was going to happen any night on that note. Because you never do what you're going to see, but you would also never get to see. You would also know that this is not going to be repeated <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. Or in my favorite were the people that would come in who were from out of town, who had planned kind of their entire summer around this trip and coming to the store and just being overwhelmed by the history and really appreciating the experience. Because I think to, to speak to your entitlement thing in the previous section, 
the people who are appreciative trust and believe I, if I saw you being appreciative, I was about to enhance your experience to the power of a thousand because you could take in what everybody was working so hard to provide for you. And if you were like, Oh my gosh, like, thank you so much. And this is so amazing. And would, you could tell they would want to tell their story of why they were there. So even if it mm -hmm. threw me off, cause that, th you know, that three minutes can really throw your whole night off. I would let them tell me. And some of them would cry and, and yeah. would be so like, Oh, this is everything and you're like oh this is everything for you like this is just to yeah. your earlier point this is another night at the job for me like i'm seeing yep. the best comics in the world all night every night to the point where i hate it not really but like i'm just I'm like, i could say their act to you but for you this is once in a lifetime this is the first time i was such a huge fan of stand-up comedy and i was such a huge fan of actually being at the comedy store that i would see that people would come and they would stare at the front of the comedy club and there was this one guy one day he had come by himself from like Australia or something. He was just looking up and he had his eyes up scanning the building and he'd scan looking around and he's looking at the street. He was like taking everything in. And I said, Hey, what's up buddy? And he goes, I can't believe I'm here, mate. Oh. I mean, he was just like, he was just blown away that he was there. So guys like that or people like that, I, I, mean, I would, one of my favorite things to do as a manager at the comedy store was to take people into the comedy mm -hmm. club when nobody was there or we returned the shows over. Yeah. And oftentimes like during the first shows, you know, around the 10 o'clock when we would turn everything over in the original room, I'd seen that they were there early. They were on the patio. They were already there a couple hours and they were just having a great time. And I would grab them and I'd go, Hey, um, you guys want to, and I'd already interacted with them, you know, on the patio, probably something talking to them. I would say, Hey, you guys want to go see the club? And I would take him to the green room in the main room. Oh, and I would bless. tell him the stories about Ciro's and I would tell him what the club used to be when it was Ciro's and that, you know, Frank Sinatra used to frequent all the time, the Rat Pack, all these people, Bugsy Siegel used to own it. There was a, I would tell him where the trap door used to be in the main room back, back area. And this trap door would go underneath Sunset Boulevard. So you could get on the other side of Sunset Boulevard and escape the cops, you know, and <laughs> stuff like that. And they would just love it. And mm. you, you can't, if you do it to the right people, they're so appreciative and, and they deserve. And so if they weren't dicks and they weren't assholes yep. and they look like they wanted to be there, I would do that all the time, at least two or three times a week sometimes. Well, and I would say to people all the time, and I've said it on this podcast, you would be shocked at how often we were getting shit on all the time, that if you so much as just to use your previous language, just noticed me or acknowledged or would pull me aside and be like, hey, you're working your ass off and I'd be dripped in sweat. You were immediately about to get two cards to come back because not only did I know you were going to tip well, I but also you were going to make every server that ever got to, ser to wait on you feel like that. And you were right. and just being present like that trust that y y that will come back to you especially in that environment mm -hmm. where it's right can be pretty toxic you know and and you could bring people back to shows that were weren't bad weren't good or sure. something like that you're like sure. you know what just come back you know what you wanted to see or sometimes comedians would cancel yep and so they oh, i came here to see joey diaz and you're like i know it sucks but he sometimes it's done and then so but I, at least i can give you another show sure and, you know and cop him a couple of drinks so mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. What What's the best tip you've ever gotten? Because like, as security, would you be allowed to take tips at any of these no. places? People offered to tip me all the time at the comedy store. And I would always just point him to the door hosts and say, listen, if you want to you tip somebody, tip those guys. Um, don't, but, you know, don't tip me. I mean, I never took a tip of security at the comedy store ever. Wow. Ever, not once. But um, but whenever I was a DJ, you know, I had a, I had a rule at the nightclub whenever I worked there. I was like, listen, if you, I would tell, I would, a saying I would say to some people, I would say, they would just be adamant about me playing this song at this time. And I'm like, listen, it's the wrong time of night. 
I'm here right now. I can't take it all the way back down to Garth Brooks, friends in little places right now. Just give me a second, you know, and come on, man, come on. I'm like, listen, I can't tell you to tip me anything, but if you tip me <laughs> bucks right now, I don't see why I couldn't put on Garth Brooks. <laughs> and that would usually get people to leave me alone. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, I'm not pulling out 50 bucks for friends but in little places. A couple of times they took me up on it. So probably just a hundred bucks, nothing, nothing crazy. Oh yeah. Well, Hey, I mean, I, I play that song for that too. Uh, and then I would always, and then the few times I did do it, I would say, all right, ladies and gentlemen, Rick, I would ri- rip off the record and be like, uh, this guy just tipped me a hundred bucks to play this song. So by God, I'm going to play this song. I love the transparency <laughs> of that. Everyone's like, no, nah, I get it. What's an example, or can you think of a interaction with the best customer or like what's an archetype of what would be the best customer? Like I said before, appreciation and yeah. you noticing it. I mean, if you, it, because then I would notice, I would notice them and noticing and be like, Hey, I can help that person out and buy him a drink, give sure. him tickets to something else. Or even whenever at the house of blues, sometimes I would even do that. I'd be like, listen, you, if you want to do this, this way, you just come over here. And I'd show him little secrets or something like that, that nobody's supposed to know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's, the archetype of a, a, a good customer is probably somebody that knows customer service. Yeah. And the grossest is whenever somebody's a terrible person and they tell you they're in the service industry and you're like, all right, bye. Yeah. And that <laughs> happens more often than not. Like, I'm going to take care of you, boo. I got you. And it's like a big fat goose egg, though, like a zero, uh, like not even yeah, a dollar. Yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. And what's the best lesson that you have personally learned from working in customer service? Um, listen, pay attention and stay calm. Mm, that's great. What's one piece of advice that you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers? Appreciate humans. Ooh, can you elaborate on that? What do you mean? It's, it's, it's hard to put, put yourself in people's shoes sometimes. And it, I, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about, um, you know, I mean, be aware of your surroundings and where you are. You're not at TGI Fridays. You're at a comedy club or you're not at a nightclub where there's bumping music all the time. And you just, you just understand what the situation is you're in. And as far as the service industry with even sometimes as a fitness instructor, you get people that were rude to you, you know, and they, they, they had certain expectations, you know, or they were just blind to what their own faults were. You know, you're trying to help this person out and be healthier and everything else. And it's like, uh, well, why am I not seeing any results, Curtis? And it's like, um, you just gave me your list of foods you ate last week. That's why you're not seeing the results. <laughs> the 5, but I worked out every day last week. Yeah, well. Again, it's not just how you're working out. It's what you're putting in your mouth. Okay. Well, anything else you want to you wanna say on the, on the customer service tip? That's it. Okay. Well, how can people get in touch with you, Curtis? Can they come stalk you or see movies you've been in? Or do you want to give out your socials? Like, what's, what's the best way to get to you? Oh, you could follow me at Curtis E. Nelson on Instagram. Can you spell that for folks? But other than that, I don't have a whole lot of... Curtis, C-U-R-T-I-S-E-N-E-L-S-O-N. Other than that, you're not really on the social. Just my name. The socials. Okay. I'm on the social, but not in that in that vein. I'm yeah. on it just for the to participate and not promote myself. And I don't have really much to promote these days. Okay. <laughs> so after people hear this, though, the, the comedy store is not where they're going to see you in the future. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. All right. Well, folks, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, we'd love to have you subscribe, rate, and or review the show wherever you listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind. It will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. Also, if you want to support the growth of this podcast, amazing. Visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the Kate Gaffney. That's patreon.com forward slash T-H-E-K-A-T-E-G-A-F-F-N-E-Y. And 
And if you want to get in touch with us here directly at Service From Hell, send us your receipts to servicefromhellpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, if you can't afford a tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thanks, Curtis. This was so much of your time. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you're not my boss now and I can I can ask the probing questions. I and hope it was fine. It was, was great. A guest. You were a great guest. That's going to be it for us, folks. Good night. was really great you gave a lot of stories. i forgot about the dj portion of your life and i was like oh yeah i bet got some stories i wanted to ask about like a oh fuck i didn't ask the tim mcgraw story wait wait, wait. do you have two seconds can we go back for just a second i'll insert sure, it ahead. okay hold on yeah and finally curtis i didn't I, I want people to hear what is the tim mcgraw story where you knew him before he was tim mcgraw <laughs> i didn't know him i met him and had exchanged drinks with him as we did a sound check for a concert he did it the Incoots place, we would have like live bands come in there every once in a while throughout the 90s. And sometimes we never got the huge acts and you're never going to get a Garth Brooks in there. But um, at the time, so uh, we would have like new upcoming acts as they came up. And uh, I was doing a sound check with uh, his band and his sound engineer and everything else. And we just set off to the side. Uh, in the DJ booth while they were kind of doing the technical stuff that we couldn't be privy to. And we just started talking and I said, McGraw, your last name's McGraw. I know you probably get this all the time, but are you related at all to Tug McGraw, the pitcher from the Philadelphia Phillies? And he kind of grinned and he said, well, actually he's my father. And I, he didn't even find that out until he was like a senior in high school or something, or maybe even after he, he was an illegitimate child. As far as he knew, his dad didn't have anything to do with him. And I guess his dad got impregnated his mother somewhere on the road somewhere or something like that. So he didn't even know that Tug McGraw was his dad until he was an adult. Wow. And he told me the whole story about that. And, and we talked and, and I just told him how much I love Tug McGraw and everything. But I mean, he was just a good dude. I remember him specifically being kind of embarrassed to be a live musician. I mean, it, it, he, he wasn't really confident in his singing and stuff. I remember on a couple of the comments where I'm like, Oh man, what, how did you get into music? And we started talking about that. And he goes, yeah, even some of my friends don't think I should be a singer <laughs> and try to point that out all the time. But you could see that he was really shy. And the first time I ever heard Indian Outlaw was that night when the concert happened. I was like, oh, I've never heard this song before. And I was like, and I talked to him after and I was like, dude, I really like that song. Indian Outlaw, half Cherokee Choctaw. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, my Oklahoma <laughs> roots. <I> can... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So he was a really, really nice guy. But um, yeah. So I also got to meet other guys while I was there. I, I sat and had whiskey with Mark Chestnut and uh-huh. people like that. So it was, it was cool. But Tim McGraw, that was pretty cool to meet him before he was anybody. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Thank you for sharing that story. I just-